Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you'll hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. But among other things, we'll find out about the offensive linesman. Welcome to Any Given Wednesday, episode IX, episode X. This is the podcast for NFL fans of all shapes and sizes, whether you're a rookie, still learning your right tackle from your tight end, or a Hall of Fame veteran from the days when roughing the passer actually meant roughing the passer, am I right? Bang on. Today we're going to be looking at one of the more remarkable games in recent Super Bowls history, Super Bowl XLIV. 44, come on. The Indianapolis Colts versus New Orleans Saints. The first time in 17 years that two number one seeded teams had met in the World Championship game. And also one of the all-time great halftime Super Bowl shows. It was a hell of a night. And speaking of two top seeds meeting, it's time to introduce my colleague. He's the Peyton Manning to my Eli. The Bill Parcels to my Sean Peyton. And the Roger Daltrey to my Pete Townsend. It's Mr. Mike Bubbins. (laughs) Hello, Tom. Hello, world. Hello, NFL fans. Hello, football fans in general. How you doing, mate? The shelf I would just put all my stuff on has just fallen out of the wall, ripped the plugs out of the wall, and I've got sports books and Apple Macs and mouse mats and keyboards everywhere. So you're it's a man podcasting fun. with the distracted air of the amount of work that he knows he's got to do later on in the day. Yeah, yeah, and the grief I'll get when my wife comes home. So um, <laughs> currently my microphone is on top of a filing cabinet and five books. Three of Kelly's books. So we've got Leanne Moriarty's The Hypnotist Love Story, The Minders by John Mars, and Gutsy Women by Hillary Rodham Clinton and Chelsea Clinton. <laughs> okay. And three of my books, which is The Johnny Owen Story by Jeff Murphy, the boxer, uh, The Football Shirts Book by Neil Hurd. Very nice. And Bring in the Heat about the Philadelphia Eagles by Mark Bowden. So. Oh, a few we got there at the end. We got an NFL. I was, I was wondering <laughs> if we were going to get to a bit of NFL memorabilia there, but we, we, you've done it. How's that book? Is that book? We're going to look at the Philadelphia Eagles soon, I hope. We'll talk about that another time, Bring in the Heat. It's absolutely fantastic. Yeah, great. Yeah, book. it's a brilliant book. Well, definitely. It's Reggie White Eagles. era Eagles. It's fabulous. Ooh, la la. That's um, not today's. That's not today's thing. That's not even the memorabilia. What are you, what are you bring into what are you bringing into the house? 
Well, because I'm in the house, it's, it's another. I, I could literally pick about 15 NFL books, but I, I picked the one that's right in front of me here, Pride of Place, Instant Replay, The Green Bay Diaries of Jerry Kramer, uh, where Jerry Kramer, the famous number 64, the guard for the Packers in the Super Bowl uh, one and two and all those championship games in the 60s. It's his diary of that first Super Bowl season. I bought that in a second-hand bookshop in the Hay on Wide Book Festival. It's an original and I love it. It's a great book. It's a really good read. They've been reprinted loads of times, so if you want to get that, do yourself a favour and read about an amazing season with an amazing coach by a very charismatic author. I amazing. recommend Instant Replay by Jerry Kramer. Awesome. Is it, a di- is it written retrospectively or is it a diary as he's going through the season? No, it's written at the end of that season, so it's interesting. Because um, he's done another one a couple of years after called A Farewell to Football after he retired. and um, But this was done at the time, so... It's really interesting to see it from a player's eye view then, being in that Lombardi camp and working with those players and under that yeah. coaching setup. Yes, yeah, fantastic. There you go. Bobbins recommends. Just a quick run through our social media this week at any given wed pod. Um, there, was, there was a few really nice, the, the general gist of this week's people getting in touch were Pats fans who were just relieved to hear people saying nice things about the Pats. <laughs> like, that was the atmosphere. It was like people being like, I know. oh, actually, this was quite, this was quite nice, actually. Oh, thank you for this. I think it's, they're not used to having love sent their way, are they really? <laughs> yeah, and then incandescent everybody else. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's it. There was a lot of people going, oh God, this is going to be a tough one to swallow. Um, let's have a look. Uh, DG got in touch at StalkingRudin77 and said, yes, I started supporting the Pats in 93 as I had just started following NFL and decided to go for whoever drafted Drew Bledsoe. I had his college football card. Good reason, that. Great yeah, reason. it's great reason. We were a rabble then and don't enjoy being accused of being on the bandwagon now, loving well, the pod. It's like me being a Packers fan, mate, that is. I always get the old bit of a glory bow, are you? I said, well, not really. I remember the Lindick years and the 80s. Thank you very much. There you go. I mean, like, I feel a very similar way about playing online chess. Started doing it about a year, a year ago, just before Queen's Gambit came out. Now all the cool kids are doing it. Oh. Um, Kevin Duffield at Duffer's 7. <laughs> at Duffer's 7. <laughs> Kevin Duffield said, great pod today. Sticks in the throat for a Jets fan to admit it. But the Pats dynasty is even more incredible as it's come entirely during the salary cap era. That is bang on that. I don't think we mentioned that you think of those other, other dynasties like the Packers in the 60s and the, and the uh, Steelers in the 70s. That was all pre-salary cap. Yeah, that is, that, that's the genius of what the Pats did, I think. Yeah, that, amazing. We're, we're in danger of becoming a, an extremely... We've, we have gone full Pats love now. That's all. Yeah. That's, I mean, quite, that's quite impressed. I've been, I've been stalking Giselle for, for nearly a week now. <laughs> that's a different thing, though, isn't it, Mike? <laughs> um, he keeps telling me he's left, but I don't care. <laughs> and, then, and then here's the big one, dude. Um, Jeff Benedict, author oh, of just... The Dynasty, uh, got in touch. It's a great podcast. Made me laugh. Brackets the dressing room. <laughs> oh dear! Oh dear! Yeah, that's on you. <laughs> that's it. That's exactly what I fear about talking about the NFL. It's being rumbled by someone who really knows what they're talking about. Love the back and forth. Anytime you want to talk across the pond, this I mean, this we got to so, get Jeff in. Yeah, we'll get. We'll get. This is Jeff a New York on. Times best-selling author. Amazing. Who really knows his stuff and wrote that amazing book. So the fact that he's listening to that is. Um, so yeah, nice. we'll, we'll 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 get him on and have a chat, and and then his follow up text was even better for me. You guys do a great job. Thoroughly enjoyed listening to your analysis. Wow, that's what Bobbins. What we do counts as analysis. Well, I I was listening back to the podcast uh, yesterday. Funny enough, I, I blew myself away with my in depth knowledge. 
Oh, you're your own biggest fan, aren't you? I said, I said, Kelly, I can't believe how much you know about football. It's, it, it staggers me sometimes. Did you leave us a five star review on iTunes? I was going to, yeah, but um, I, I don't, I can't, I don't got iTunes. <laughs> yeah, please keep getting in touch online, uh, and I, particularly, we're really interested in, in finding out why you support the teams you support. I love that reason. Uh, it's because you were following Drew Bledsoe through college football. It's great. That's a good one. Super Bowl 44, which was a fantastic Super Bowl. I can remember it. It was, what, 2009? Last season, yeah. So it was 2010, early 2010 was the Super Bowl. But um, yeah. tell us good for me because Breeze's son in that, it would be just almost exactly the same age as my son. So that was a that was a Super Bowl that I didn't watch with the boys. In fact, the bar was built that year. I finished the wow. bar in, later on in 2010. So, yeah, so that Super Bowl 2009 season, I, I would have watched all of it downstairs probably doing feeds and burping Ben and changing nappies and stuff and you know, well, you know the deal Tom and you yeah, dad that's exactly where I'm at also watching things like Monday Night Football and all the people who are tweeting in and talking about it in Thursday Night Football on Sky a large catchment area are new parents it's a, it's a great way to find yourself getting oh, into NFL fantastic. football yeah. ha- have a baby because you're sat up through the night and there it is there's all the NFL for you to get on and also you can record the games then so they'll keep you going all week you know, you, you can watch late games. You can watch a Thursday night game, the Monday night game, the late game on a Sunday twice. So there Brilliant. you go, listen. If, if you are struggling to keep up with the amount of football that's out there to watch, just get someone get pregnant. Some, yeah. <laughs> It'll be the best thing you ever do in terms of getting to the NFL. Listen to any given Wednesday. It doesn't even matter if you like them that much because if, if, you, didn't, if you didn't stay together, then <laughs> there's even less pressure. So I'll, I'll have him weekends. That's fine. You've got, you've got the girls. I'll stay in on a Saturday and Sunday, Monday and all. Watch football. There you go. With, um, with, with, with whatever his name is. <laughs> whoever, whoever that thing is. <laughs> um, so, uh, so yeah, great. Uh, it is, um, it's quite, a f- I mean, I remember it very distinctly because it was just one of those games where an awful lot seemed to happen and it was a proper ding-dong of a game. We'll get into kind of the details in a bit. But one of the biggest, I mean, like, well, the big story, of course, is you know, it's the New Orleans Saints only ever Super Bowl win. It's always great yeah. when you're looking at franchises who have that incredible story. And this was an incredible story for an incredible city. I started watching football in the early 80s, but God, they were they were a horrible team for years. They, 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 just, they just couldn't win. They, they never would win in seasons. They didn't go to the playoffs for like 20 years. They were always really bad. And the fans were, fair play to the fans, they were still have really good attendances. But they would turn up with those brown paper bags over their heads with the eyes cut out. <laughs> yeah, they were called like I, I lo- <laughs> they were like the lo- love that. lovable losers of the NFL, weren't they? Yeah, and yeah, that Tom Benson was the owner, wasn't he? He came up and danced around with his little umbrella and because I mean, it's, it's a great city, New Orleans. I went there when I was about nineteen. Oh wow, it's a great age and, uh, to go to New Orleans. Oh man, it was. And I was underage to drink it at the time, but you know, I had my uh, I life, had my life finds a way. Yeah, didn't it? Life finds a way and false ID. Um, <laughs> so it was great being in the French Quarter and, and doing all that stuff. And it's a, it's a fabulous. There's music everywhere. Like I know it's a cliche, but every bar's got music. You walk down the boardwalk and there's all the paddle steamers are playing different tunes. And then there's people playing saxophones on on the street and bands everywhere. And it's a brilliant place. And that, um, that personality does seem to rub off on the football team, doesn't it? Like the Saints, it does feel like uh, it has kind of 
a strong kind of sense of identity and its own personality and its own way of doing things. Yeah, so every day's a party. And then it almost... So when they had those seasons when they weren't very good for a long, long time, it it was still a, it was still a Sunday party at, at New Orleans, you know. Um, I went to the Superdome when I was over there. It was out of season, but um, I did the tour of the Superdome. So that was my, I mean, I came from 19 years of age. I'd been to the Arms Park, the old uh, National Stadium in Wales, the rugby. And at the time, would have sat about 60,000 people. Um, a bit, I loved it, but um, always looked sort of three quarters finished. A lot of the areas you'd stand up, there were terraces. I remember walking in the Superdome and just going, oh, my God. Yeah, and it was yeah. empty. There was no one there. But there was like 30 people there because you were on the tour. Yeah. just looked even bigger. It was like, oh, my God. It was this vast cathedral of football. Do you get to go down on the pitch as part of the tour? Yeah, yeah, you were on the pitch. And there was, I remember there was like a, a golf buggy. Um, the guy who sat in this sort of golf buggy, it was the shape of a New Orleans Saints helmet. I'd love one of those for the golf course. Imagine that. <laughs> Packers colours. It'd be amazing. For, for the school run. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so great. A brilliant place. Good people. Um, yeah. Love the party. And then 2005, obviously, Hurricane Katrina happened oh. and devastated uh, the area, you know, damaged the Superdome. Because that's such a huge building. And it was it was a safe place to be because the way it's constructed. Yeah. I mean, but if you if you read the stories of the time about what was going on there, I mean, it was horrendous. I mean, the, the people that were stuck in there, it was like bloody, oh, it was like, a, what's the one with Kurt Russell? His escape from New York? Yeah. When they just basically closed yeah, off Manhattan? Yeah. Well, that's what the Superdome was like. And, uh, Crime uh, everywhere, all sorts going yeah, on. Yeah, and a lot of people sheltered in the Superdome, didn't they? They had, like, people in there to kind of... Yeah, but they were, like, there were beatings in there. It would have been a horrendous place to be stuck in there, because they had... If you remember the time there was uproar because they seemed to be given no support nationally. That's right, yeah, that's right. They were just hung out to dry. It tended to be the poorer, predominantly black neighbourhoods. And they just said, this this wouldn't happen. If this was Boston, you wouldn't let this happen. The wind is whipping out here right outside the Superdome. Major, major flooding. And with much of New Orleans now underwater, authorities are focused on search and rescue before it's too late. The scene is nothing short of apocalyptic. 80% of New Orleans, including much of downtown, is underwater. And rising waters will now force officials to evacuate the shelter at the Superdome. They couldn't play at home for a long time because the Superdome was ruined. They had an entire season on the road, didn't they, the next season? Yeah. Um, Sean Payton took over in the aftermath of Hurricane Katrina. That's kind mm. of where this story starts, really, isn't it? It's, it's like, he's a tough bloke to like, isn't he? It's like, yeah, he, he, he really is, actually. <laughs> he comes, I mean, he comes across as... He, he, he played under Mike Didka, didn't he? And you can kind of see this kind of... He has that kind of brashness and that kind of... But he doesn't he doesn't have the charm. No, he doesn't. <laughs> the, the, the and you say he played... He played... He came, so he came out of college and he didn't... He didn't get drafted. And then I think he went to, like, arena football at first. And then he got sold. They sold his rights for like a thousand dollars to the Canadian Football League. He played some football in Canada. But when he played in '87, it was when the there was the the second big player strike. Yes, he was essentially a scab quarterback. And I don't, which I don't blame him for that. I, I, that I'm that might split the room, but yeah, you know, you you've got one chance in in the states to get in the NFL uh, usually. So if fate deals you another hand and says, "Listen, you know, you're going to get abused by the players. You're going to get abused by some of the fans." You're going to be known as a scab player, but you have a chance to play in the NFL. And if you if you do well, you can stay on 
post strike, I bite their hand off. I do exactly what I do exactly what you cross the picket Pitt line. Did. For that, I would. Yeah, definitely. We should do an episode on this, those the strikes because it's a really fascinating story, isn't it? Yeah, they are. But he was. I think he played three games, didn't he? He did. Yeah. <laughs> it wasn't, the last wasn't, game wasn't being very successful. No, but he said the last game they played against the Saints, and all the all the teams were given names by the fans and by pundits during the strike season. Tended to be derogatory. So Chicago Bears are known as the Chicago Spare Bears. Okay. Um, the Imposters of the Midway, which I like. And the Chicago Bearleys, which I... <laughs> I like the Chicago Bearleys. That's the best one. That's really good. Yes, you play for them. And then, mate, he went... I don't know if you know this. You're, you're, a, you're a Midlands lad. Oh, this is your West Midlands. But then... Yeah. Then he had a season in Leicester, playing for the Leicester Panthers. Did he really? In the British... In the Budweiser UK League, yeah. No way. That's yes, great. He, he was their quarterback. And they, they were unbeaten while he was quarterback. And then he went... He got a coaching job in the States and went back home and they... They got the they got the quarter final of the Budweiser Bowl that year, which was the UK Championship. We should talk about the eighties British League at some point as well. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Amazing. Yeah, so the, so Sean Payton, Super Bowl winning coach, uh, was once a quarterback in the, for the Leicester Panthers. That's great. That's a really yeah. that's really good knowledge. <laughs> <laughs> and then when he went and then when he went back to NFL, he was a coach under Bill Parcells, who's quite a legendary kind of coach, who's cropped up in a couple of other stories that we've done. Um, yeah. and so that was he was kind of his mentor and he crops up later on you know he's quite influential on the yeah. Super Bowl win but he kind of made Sean Payton the coach who he is and he's a good coach you've got to admit I mean the Saints have been since he took over the Saints have been there or thereabouts consistently for, oh, a, yeah. de- for a decade now I think outside of Belichick he's, he's the longest serving coach you, you don't get to do 20 years in the NFL unless you're, unless you're a really good coach yeah and again, look, talking about Belichick and Brady, he's been he's been paired up with uh, a quarterback who's kind of defined this era of the New Orleans Saints, Drew Brees, who has well, to be, you know he's in a conversation he's in the goat conversations a lot, isn't he, Drew Brees? One of the great my, quarterbacks. We're both Packers fans. Producer Simon's a Packers fan. I would say outside of the Packers, outside of uh, Favre and Rogers, my favorite quarterback is Drew Brees. And I think I often think he's the best quarterback in the league. The way he passes the ball, I think he's he's a fabulous player. Playing into his forties and what a career! And he's beautiful. He's he's one of those players like Rodgers in that regard. He's beautiful to watch. Watch the the way he throws a ball. There's there's no one throws a ball like him. And the the way he can thread a pass. They said that one season, so the Super Bowl season, his pass, he completed over seventy percent of his passes. Amazing. You know, against NFL defenses, it's it's. um, I loved I loved watching him play. I still love watching him play. And he, he always comes across as a really really good bloke. He does, yeah. He comes across and and a, and a proper leader as well, doesn't he? He oh, comes yeah. across as a top bloke. Um, there's a really funny bit in the in the America's Game where Sean Payton says the first season he had him, they came up to their bye week and he had to go down to the training centre to pick something up. <laughs> and, and there was one player out on the field like running like drills and dropping back and stuff. And he went out and it was Breeze. And he said, what are you doing, Drew? And he was like, I, I, don't, I don't want to psychologically yeah. miss a game. I don't want to get out of my routine. So I'm, just, yeah. I'm working through it as if we're playing a game. And he was just playing a game by himself on the <laughs> training pitch. That was amazing, pitch. isn't it? <laughs> and up and down the field properly. <laughs> I just thought you wouldn't get Joe Namath. Imagine, imagine <laughs> Joe Namath doing that. No chance. On, on your bye week. <laughs> Joe's in the jacuzzi with four girls, isn't he? <laughs> 
<laughs> what, what are you doing, Drew? <laughs> I'm playing the game by myself. It's show business. <laughs> show <Joseph>. business, Drew. <laughs> really, really make oh, I love that. And then, uh, then Pete says to him, what are you doing? He says, uh, I'm just don't, basically don't, don't want to get out of the routine. I'm just playing the game like I would be playing this time of the day on a Sunday. He went, how are we how are we doing? Are we winning? <laughs> he said, "Yeah, we're winning." <laughs> it's really good. But how often, mate, do the to the people who play at the top level for that length of time are the ones? I mean, we talked about Joe Namath, and it, what he did was fabulous. But Joe was done in sort of six or seven years, really. Bruce has been there for twenty years. Brady's been there for twenty years. And Rogers has been there for nearly twenty years. These are the ones who put put the hours in all, and they're, they're the ones we talk about. After a game, they're the ones who go back, watch game film, sleep with the facility. Yeah, yeah. It, it keeps cropping up, doesn't it? Walter Payton, all those guys. It's just like they're the people who put in the extra yard, who were running the hill on their days off, who didn't, you know, were obsessed. That's what it keeps coming back to. When you've got a player like that, if you can if you give him a few weapons and, and put a defence around him. So I really so, I so love watching Reggie Bush run. I thought that they showed running the, the America's game against the Cardinals in the divisional game. It's probably one of my favourite runs ever by a running back, and I've seen a lot of runs. I, I, Reggie Bush was, was all there. He could do it. Uh, Darren Sharper was a real bull hawk in defence. You had um, He brings in uh, Vilma. What a player. Oh, my Jordan God. Jordan Vilma. Yeah. In fact, it reminded me of when we were looking at the defence of the 85 Bears. It was like a, it was a real um, offensive defence, wasn't it? It was like a defence that went on the attack that was kind of like always snaffling for like... Well, the interceptions and they do a slight NFL gloss over job on this, um, and we I think maybe this is a, a for another podcast another time, but that was the season and the season after that and the season after that uh, when the whole bounty gate the whole with Greg Williams and Sean Payton and, and that team got heavily fined they lost draft picks they suspended Greg Williams for a year they suspended Sean Payton for a year they suspended. They suspended some of the players, including Vilma, but then they let the players back in because they said, well, they're just doing what the coaches basically told them to do. What What was that? It's very briefly mentioned in America's game where they do a high-low hit on uh, on Brett Favre, the, yeah. the Vikings game. Yeah, yeah, and Vilma special. says, no, uh, we, did, we didn't mean to hurt him. That's not the way we do things. That's, he's saying that as, a sort of a, as an after thing because what they found that that team had done under Greg Williams, and also Greg Williams in, in the America's game, Peyton mentions that, I think Greg Williams said the thing, we'll, we'll give him a remember me hit when we get there. Yes. Well, Greg Williams sort of, uh, at the very at the very best, turned a blind eye. But if you listen to the investigation, uh, encouraged and partially financed a, a bounty programme where they would pay players to injure other teams' players. Oh, wow. Oh, so, wow, okay. the, yeah, so they, and they, because in that Vikings game, Favre got hit several times. They did the same thing to um, Kurt Warner in, in the Kurt Warner game. They hit him late a lot of times. So, And the NFL took it seriously because they had, they had a defensive uh, assistant who got fired in 2009 and basically turned whistleblower. They were found guilty of having a bounty program and paying to, you know, there was a payment for knocking players out. There was a bigger payment for players getting taken off the, the field on a golf cart. There was... Oh, wow. That's, yeah. that's amazing. Yeah. <clears throat> um, so I mean, Vilma, they. I mean, it's a tough business, and that and that that also always slightly poisons my view of Sean Payton. I don't really blame players for that. I think when you're in the NFL, you basically do what you're told, and yeah, I agree. 
I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you'll hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not and, as um, simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Breeze coming to New Orleans. That's where I think fair play to him and, and to Sean Payton because... You know, it was in the immediate aftermath of Hurricane Katrina and Breeze talks about being shown around the city and yeah. they ended up going into one of the areas that had been devastated by Hurricane Katrina. And, you know, he, he had other options. He was like, you know, he could have gone to Miami. And you think about what a lifestyle that would be to be in Miami, to be Drew Breeze in Miami, what a lifestyle cool. that would be. But he said, like him and his wife had a big conversation about it and they realised, he said he talks about like the deeper meaning of coming to New Orleans and being part of the rebuild of the area and the regeneration of the area. And that I think is partly what makes this such an incredible story is kind of, he chose to be a part of that. Yeah. And I don't know if he's a religious bloke. I mean, I mean, he is, assuming yeah, I think he is, yeah. is he quite religious? But yeah, but that's exactly what happened. I mean, that, that's why I love sport. I love, I love the NFL. And I love sport in general is it can be such a force for good. <laughs> yeah. There's an amazing you know, thing about the saints where, so when, when the Superdome opened back up, and they had their first game back, and it was kind of like this: the city is back, and here we go. And again, that, that is what's so great about sport is you can kind of you can focus all of those emotions behind a sports team and yeah. give it that focus. And in the first game, they absolutely spanks they they spank the Falcons. Uh, and then there's a very famous like the first moment of the game, the first game back. There's a blocked blocked punt. Oh yeah, that goes on to be a touchdown. Touchdown, yeah, and and that that beca- that's a statue, isn't it? Now that's a statue outside yeah. the Superdome. It's such a funny thing to have a statue of. Like it's like the, a blocked punt, but like it became like. But that was the first play back there, and they said the place went absolutely abso- nuts. Yeah, they went absolutely mad. It's like this legendary play is this blocked punt in the first game back at the Superdome. And so, I like sport. The sport hasn't got you know that there is nuance in there, isn't there? You can be you can be hero and villain. So. I mean, you could go talk about the bounty thing and uh, Greg Williams um, and that and that defense, whatever. But the the flip side of that is that 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 team being successful and achieving that and winning that Super Bowl and really brought that community together and really lifted New Orleans. I mean, it was in a terrible place. You you yeah. can't overestimate in in what a bad place New Orleans was. Because they talked about the Saints moving out of the city and go and relocating and. And they said, I said, no, no, no. Fair play of Benson, the owner. He's like, no, this is our home. We're staying here. Yeah. You know, you, you don't run away when it gets tough. That's not the time to go. Um, and what a journey it turned out to be because you look at them from 2006 to 2009 and pretty much every year they were Super Bowl contenders. And then we get to 2009 and they have one of the great seasons. They almost, I mean, look, there was a stage where they were looking like they might go and beat them. And they were, yeah, were they 10 and 0, 11 0, something? Yeah. Yeah, Eleven and zero, absolutely. I think a twelve and zero. They lost the last. They lose the last three games of the that's season. Right. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. And kind of have this dip that gives them the impetus to kind of come back in the postseason. I was going to say to come back from losing three, but they were still top of the top seed, so they lost three, and then they had a bye week, so they were, they basically went a month of a, a week off and three losses, and then you got a divisional game. And uh, one of those one of those losses was down to a last minute 
uh, missed uh, field goal attempt by this young kicker Hartley. I love and, this. Uh, this is such a good. Later on, then in the in the in the divisional game, it comes down to another clutch field goal, and they send him out, and he, and he makes the kick. <laughs> but even really then, like good well, drama. I see coaches um, that lose their temper with players on the sideline, and, and and then, but they seem genuine when 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 they sort of when they're being nice to you. Then it happens. That's that's football. That's sport, isn't it? But there's the bit when Hartley's missed that kick. And he's a young lad. He's just missed the kick. They've lost the game. <laughs> Peyton says to him, stop sulking, stop sulking, grow a pair of balls, and all this sort of stuff. I'm like, oh, okay. And then when he's got the same kick like three or four weeks later, he's sort of arm round him, you know, this is, you deserve this. You, this is your time. You know? <laughs> oh, <laughs> Hang on a minute, mate. It's, it, it, it was proper goosebumps that moment. He puts his arm around him and says, just hit your kick, son, because you deserve to be here. Oh, it really also, got... <laughs> mate, it was... It was b- b- as someone who likes swearing, I don't swear on this podcast, try not to. Uh, so he, here's a beep, beep, I'm going to swear in a minute. Great bit of swearing in the middle of a phrase as well. When he said, that the fleur de fucking Lee. <laughs> Just hit the fleur de fucking Lee. Because <laughs> he says, when he's at the top of the I said the in fleur de Lee, but he didn't. Because that's not as funny as the fleur de fucking Lee. Yeah. Put, yeah, put, yeah, put yeah. it in the middle of it instead. Yeah. Um, it, it really got me thinking about... Um, the life of a kicker. It's, oh, it is an absolutely mad existence, isn't it? You kind of think you're on the sideline. You, you, you're not in the game. And then you're no. brought out at the most clutch moments to do something do that isn't... Is. like. And I know, I think to the spectator, it always looks fairly straightforward. Right. Of kicking a field goal looks straightforward to a spectator. But it is not straightforward at all. They're trying to kick a football. It's really difficult to do. They're really hard to kick anyway the shape and, the, and how hard they are but then you compare it to a rugby kick there's no comparison you, you've got a minute in rugby tee the ball up take your five steps back two steps to the side look at the post look down look at the post look down look at the post look down throw a bit of grass in the air compose yourself have a deep breath look at it you know what I mean do a little dance <laughs> the NFL you've got and there's no one there you're not, you're not allowed to charge a, a penalty down you've got to be at least 10 metres away in rugby Yeah. but in football you are, you've got a step you've got one step and kick because you've got some bloke six foot seven, jumping f- as high as he possibly can, about six yards in front of you, and so the, the ball's got to go up straight away. I mean, you can't mess around. It's really a difficult skill. Psychologically, the, what they go through it is—it's extraordinary. It's an extraordinary career. And do you know what those boys are on? They talk about minimum contracts in the NFL, and obviously it's a well-paid league, but they're usually on like game-to-game contracts. I believe yeah, they're not even on like. You miss two you're clutch gone. kicks back to back and you're gone, aren't you? That's you might it. do three kickers in a season. <laughs> yeah, that's it. And it's like once you're tainted as someone who doesn't make a clutch kick, you, you've got, we're like, who's going to get? Who's going to have you? And do you know what I noticed the last couple of years is, and they get, never get any love kickers. They don't get love off the coaches. They're gone with anybody. I've, I've seen kickers make some really good tackles, and I think because the tackling, I think the standard of tackling's gone down in the NFL in the last ten years. So it it makes the kickers good tackle stand out even more. I've seen kickers make great tackles on a on a kick return, and even then they don't get. They sort of walk back the sideline. Yeah. Everyone ignores them. Go and stand on your own because you're expected. You're just expected to make that kick. It's like you, yeah. you. That's your job. Do your job. Come out and make that kick. And if you don't, something's gone badly wrong. It's uh, yeah. It's it's a, it's a hell of a. It's life. like being a. It's like if your if your only job in in football was taking penalties in big games. Yeah. 
and then you miss a penalty and, you, and you're suddenly you're a dickhead. Well, what, why didn't you win the game in regulation? So when that kicker misses a last-minute 40-yard field goal, well, that's because you couldn't get closer than 40 yards to the other team's end zone because your offense didn't do a job and your defense let them score too many points. Yeah. But it's the kicker's fault. <laughs> and plus, you've kind of you've also committed to a life of looking like a boy amongst men. Because like, yeah. because like, I tell you what, mate. Well, we talked about Gallery of Premier, didn't we, at the um, of the Dolphins? I think the first first podcast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're an odd bunch, kickers. You've got to be a bit. You've got to be a bit of an oddball, haven't you? Yeah, uh, absolutely. Mentally, my God. It's fa- it's fascinating. Absolutely well, that fascinating. that bit there. Talk about redemption in sports. He's missed that kick in against Tampa. Then he goes back in and has a similar kick in the playoffs, almost from the same hash mark as well, and kicks it. And he gets shouldered off. He's like, yeah. he's like king of the world. I'm thinking, my God, that's it. I know. Talk about an up and down career. And if you think about being like, say, say you think you're a linebacker and you're out there for, you know, you've had the shit kicked out of you for like an hour, <laughs> three hours. Uh, yeah, you're absolutely battered, black and blue. You've been going in time after time, snap after snap. And then this guy comes on with a clean pair of cleats, like not, <laughs> not a bit of mud on him. Kicks the ball. He's shouldered off. He's the hero. You're just like, what well, are the linemen? <laughs> yeah. They do it. That's funny. You've been playing guard or centre all game, getting tooled on every down. Yeah, that's it. Uh, your your <laughs> body's absolutely broken. This fucking twenty-one-year-old yeah. kid trots out with long hair, with <laughs> boots on, and glint in his eye. Two different boots and shoulders <laughs> like an aspirin bottle. All the press are gathered round him in the dressing room. Afterwards. <laughs> Oh, I love um, it. I love it. But that's another reason I love football. We talk about, you know, there, there is a position for everybody. Yeah, that's it. Absolutely. <laughs> that's it. Drew Brees and Peyton Manning, the first ever matchup of 4,000-yard quarterbacks in a Super Bowl. Opening possession of the Colts after the So let's get to the Super Bowl then because it was a blockbuster matchup. Super Bowl 44, XLIV in Miami. They came up against the Indianapolis Colts, and that I was really interested to read that, Mike. It was the first time in 17 years that the two number one seeded teams had got to the final. It d- turns yeah. out it doesn't happen that often. I didn't realise that either. I, th- I, th- I thought that would be a much more frequent occurrence. But um... and apparently, it was the first ever matchup of two 4,000 yard quarterbacks in a Super Bowl. Really? Yeah. Blockbuster that matchup. Surprises me. Yeah, no. I, there you go. I thought it would. That's what the guy said on the commentary when I was watching the highlights, so I wrote it down. He's got no reason, no reason to lie, mate, is he? <laughs> so Peyton Manning arrives with the Indianapolis Colts. Now, Peyton Manning, one of the all-time great quarterbacks, who didn't come away with quite as many Super Bowl rings as he probably should have. And this was one of I those can't believe he got less than his brother. Yeah, I mean... That's... Talk about a travesty. <laughs> we, I, mean, I mean, there's definitely an episode coming up. Oh. I, I'd love to do an episode about the Manning brothers because it's a fascinating. Eli sat there like a Christmas dinner with his with his with his rings on, showing off to it. <laughs> but poor Peyton, like, he, he, I mean, like, well, no, not poor Peyton. He, he was one of the true greats, you know, of Brilliant. the game. They came into this Super Bowl favourites because they had Peyton Manning, and they were expected to win. And it was a it was a brilliant game. One of the great things going into it we should talk about is this Operation Ambush because you know I, I love, love a you know I love a trick play. 
You know, yeah. you, you know, you know, I love a surprise. I know you're a fake pun and lateral sort of bloke, didn't you? <laughs> oh, yes, I am. So as soon as I started hearing talk of Operation Ambush, I was like, here we go. <laughs> here we go. Um, so Get Sean, the PlayStation 2 up. <laughs> here we go. Sean. So Sean Payton said, you know, like in the build up, he chatted to, he went back to his mentor, talked to Bill Parcells and said, like, what's, oh, your, what's your advice? about going up against a great quarterback like Peyton Manning. And he said, what you're going to need to do is try and steal a possession, which yeah. is which is an incredible way of looking at... A, I didn't really think about it, looking at a full match, but like it's like, look, when you've got Peyton Manning, every possession is going to be a score. That's how you have to look at it. And so in order yeah. to win this game, you are going to have to steal a possession. So he looked at, you know, so he considered a fake punt, didn't go for the fake punt. And he, so instead, they, they started practicing on a surprise onside kick. Well, I like that because Parcells did that fake punt for the Giants um, when they snapped straight to the up back and he's gone. To understand the level of planning in a football game, when Peyton says, that, and you got two weeks before the Super Bowl um, rather than a week, but then to go through that and know that they haven't got a look that will, that will suit a fake punt. They just look through all the game film of, of the Colts. Like, there's never a time that we can run a fake punt with any sort of degree of certainty. But they are susceptible to an onside kick so they start practicing and practicing this disguised onside kick where it looks like you're going to be kicking off normally but instead you shank the ball off to the side and attempt to regain it onside kick to start the second half and the ball bounces off the hands of a Colt and it looks like the Saints had it for a second not afraid Sean Payton he said big games you got to make tough decisions. How about this way to start the second half? Well, you and a Saints football. They recover the onside kick. What a fearless start to the second half. Really unbelievable decision by Sean Payton. The onside kick it is a fascinating thing in American football because it is one of those things that causes absolute chaos amongst teams. It feels like no team is comfortable retrieving an onside kick. They must well, practice it all the time and it never it never seems to work out. Well, people see people trying to recover like a ball on the floor and they think, well, just pick it up. But what you don't realise is when you're wearing pads and, and you've, got a, you've got a hard surface and, a, and quite a hard, very pointy ball, then you, it's not like rugby. If you dive on the ball, it's going to... Sp- it, it squirts out. That's the problem. It's not, you know, kill it, dive on it, dive on it. Okay, well, yeah, but then the ball shoots off somewhere else. There's no greater so, yeah. sight in football than a pylon where people are trying to recover the ball. And, like, just like guys, listen- guys are running from, like, 20 yards away just to pile in. Well, mate, if you listen to the ex-pros, they tell you that is where the real skullduggery goes on. Because if you think about that, I mean, that can make or break your season. That can make or break your career. That could be the difference in a... In a a huge bonus or not getting a huge bonus and all you've got to do to make that happen is break some bloke's fingers at the bottom of a pile when there's no one can see what's going on and that happens all the time it's people trying to snap your fingers off and it's break part, your thumbs I think it's and... part of the reason why everyone piles on is to mask what's going on underneath isn't it <laughs> <laughs> I, I was watching it must was, be terrifying at the bottom of those piles <laughs> I was watching a round table of ex-pros the other day and someone was one of the questions was what goes on in, a, in one of those piles and they all refused to comment <laughs> like they, they <laughs> you don't want to like, know like they're taking the fifth amendment like no 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 <laughs> yeah. yeah like these are guys who've been retired for 15 years they're like you don't need to know we don't talk about what goes on in the pile um, <laughs> it's amazing isn't it and everyone's just on but even that, mate, and I didn't, I didn't realise, and I've been watching football for 40 years, right? I didn't realise, I just assumed that there was a change of ends. 
but when you win the coin toss, you can choose to receive the kick or not receive the kick. I think you can, so they call it defer. You know, so, uh, or you can choose to defend an end. But then I assume that at half time those ends changed. Yeah. But apparently it doesn't. I mean, but what I can gather from this is that they've practiced that onside kick to the left. They realised they were going to do it first half, but it wasn't. It wasn't on, so they do it second half. But that's going to be kicking towards the Colts bench. So he says to the referee, "We want to play the other way." Okay. Now I didn't know you could do that. I didn't know that 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 can happen. Absolutely amazing. And, uh, and what yeah. a, what a, even that though, mate? Because to have all the coaches and all the players screaming at the officials. <laughs> two feet away. <laughs> it's so good. So they were 10-6 down at half time and the Colts had, bit, had led the whole way. And then they came out and rather than kick off normally, they did the surprise onside kick, which I can remember extremely clearly. Like this was, you know, this was 10 years ago now. And at the time, Super Bowl evenings were just about getting hammered for me, really. We'd all just go around someone's house and get really drunk and the football would be on. But the surprise onside kick was like a big... It was a big moment in Super Bowl history, yeah. really. No one had ever done that before. It takes balls, because if that, if that doesn't come off, you look really stupid and you're giving them great field position. When the Saints win, at the end, just before Peyton gets the trophy, the commissioner says to him, that is the gutsiest Super Bowl performance from a coach I've ever seen. Mm. And he said, Parcels told me that to win it, you need balls. And like, there, there's a few gutsy calls in there. Like from the get-go, he comes out all guns blazing. Like he tries, he tries a fourth and goal. He doesn't take the field goal. He he tries for the touchdown. It doesn't work. There's yeah. like, there's a two-point attempt later on. There's this, there's there's Operation Ambush. It's kind of like he did go out all kind of bells and whistles, didn't he? But if you're not going to go balls out in the Super Bowl, when are you going to go balls out? This is my thing. I mean, there's no next week. It's like you, you know always what I mean? say, Mike, it's just the old phrase. If you're not going to go balls out in the Super Bowl, when are you going to go balls out? <laughs> that's, a, know, that's a great cool. quote. I like that. <laughs> what are you saving it for? Next week? Yeah. Next week? There's no next week. Oh, it's good. It's so true. And it just feels like that's what... It, it just felt special, I think. That's Even the who at halftime couldn't ruin that game. Oh, my God. Let's talk about I that. I saw one. them last year. I saw them last year in Wembley. The only gig, and I've been to dozens of gigs in my life. I've seen just about everybody over the years. The only gig I've ever walked out of at halftime. Really? Yeah. I walked. I was in Wembley. I was, on, I was on the Wembley Tube with probably an hour left in the gig, going back to the hotel. I mean... I, I saw them at Glastonbury and was unimpressed, but this is... What I like about this halftime Super Bowl show, right, is... It, we should do halftime shows, that's another we, podcast. We should definitely, yeah. I thought it was a pretty decent halftime Super Bowl show because what it was is it was a band coming out and playing live and playing their greatest hits in 15 minutes and getting yeah. off the stage. You don't get that anymore. Like, for better or worse, they are definitely singing live. I mean, you yeah. know that because he's not hitting many notes, but at least it, fe- it does feel like a rock gig, do you know what I mean? Whereas nowadays, it feels like you're watching some kind of weird... Oh, man. Uh, or the Black Eyed Peas. They, trip. Yeah. They <laughs> like, do like two songs, then realise they haven't, they haven't got any more songs. They do some covers. You're like, mate, come on, you've got to do 15 minutes. So when you're watching Lady Gaga. Haven't you got like six songs you can do? <laughs> it's like when, when Coldplay did it and then halfway through they were like, actually here's Coldplay. Beyonce, we're just going to watch Beyonce for a bit. It's like, you've only got 15 minutes, guys. Like You you wouldn't do that at Cardiff Glee, was your mic? You wouldn't be getting, you know, you got 15. I have to. <laughs> 15 minutes, you have to bring someone out to get, get your time done. Tom. <laughs> Hello, everyone. So yeah, the Who Halftime Show. I mean, a lot of people still talk about it as the last great halftime Super Bowl show. 
So, when was Prince? Because that was my favourite one ever. But we'll talk yeah, about I mean, oh my God. Show, yeah, absolutely. I've got a feeling producer Simon was there for that and saw it live. Oh, you were there for the Prince one, were you? Yeah, He's were. nodding. Oh, the swine, honestly. God. <laughs> there you go. I, oh, here we go. It's become this overproduced kind of TV event rather than a gig in the stadium for the people who are there. Sorry, if, if, if you're a new listener, basically every, every week we, we both get incredibly jealous of... Uh, Producer Simon's life. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so um, every time we say "Imagine being in that Super Bowl," he just says, "I was there." Yeah. I'm going to imagine it. And sometimes he just gives a little look down the Zoom call. He doesn't need to say to anything. Say, it's just like, "Oh sorry, yeah, lads. okay, I've met him." Sorry, sorry, boys. When we start saying, "Oh, I think Tom Brady's got star quality," he'll give a little look to say, "Well, I've met him, and he has." Um, so, <laughs> so yeah, Operation Ambush led to a touchdown, that t- and you know, Pierre Thomas scored a great touchdown. And, and then suddenly the game's kind of turned and momentum has swung. Momentum. Yeah, absolutely. And then they, you know, the game finishes with an incredible uh, pick six by Tracy Porter, who picks off Peyton He Manning. retired this year, I think. I think he retired in, back in January. Got released, didn't he? He still was still playing this year, yeah. last season. It's a great interception, kind of picks, sees the play, gets a jump on the receiver, and he's off. It's a really great, one of the great Super Bowl touchdowns. Gone through all this, and you haven't mentioned juicy fruit once. <laughs> Let's get to juicy fruit. Don't don't forget the juicy fruit, pal. So Sean Payton is a man of uh, well, he's got a superstition, hasn't he? Mm. He likes to have five sticks of juicy fruit chewing gum first half, five sticks of juicy fruit chewing gum second half, and woe betide the equipment manager who brings him spearmint gum because that will not do if he found out he says it's just not the same it's got to be juicy fruit but he proper bollocked the bloke as well <laughs> so, didn't he yeah so he's like, got an fucking goddamn spearmint bring me some fucking juicy fruit <laughs> go tell Bob juicy fruit <laughs> alright chill out mate juicy effing fruit <laughs> the fleur de effing <laughs> lee <laughs> do fucking see fruit <laughs> um, he, 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 yeah he, he Ah, he's a brash, he's a brash character, isn't he? He's a winner, though, mate. Exactly right. He's a winner, and it, you know it, it's an incredible moment. You, you see the confetti coming down. Which also it begs the question: do, do coaches they don't need to be likable? Are the great ones ever likable? Like you look yeah. at you look at the great coaches Lombardi that we've looked and you at. Look at. Rarely do people come out saying, "Well, they're just a really nice guy." Don Schuler, I do. There's not many people with you know. He, he seemed really likable on the sideline. But yeah, certainly um, Belichick and Lombardi. It's kind of my concern with the current Peyton. Packers coach is that he seems to, like a nice bloke. Too nice? Matt Lafleur. he seems too nice, I think. It's why I, I, I constantly expect us not to get to the Super Bowl. because I think but Tony Dungy was so nice, wasn't he? He's just too nice. I'm amazed he won a Super Bowl. He's so nice. <laughs> <laughs> You've got to be a bit of an arsehole. Or just be so nice that people don't want to let you down. Yeah. They're either terrified of you or they don't want to upset you. But don't be in the middle. Just don't be all right. <laughs> don't be all right. <laughs> um, and then, I mean, the thing that I kind of got most jealous of looking at, uh, looking back at the, the New Orleans uh, victory is thinking of the celebrations that went on in New Orleans. Oh, imagine What, what that, that must have been like to have been in the streets, in the French Quarter. This is normally when Simon starts nodding because he was there for two yeah. weeks, I don't know. Yeah. All expenses, jolly. <laughs> They said there was like, you know, a million people victory parade in New Orleans. Um, and, you know, dancing in the street. 
what you know a city that really knows how to party has well like i said I, i've been there on like a, on a thursday in july and it was fab it was brilliant so being there on super bowl night after a super bowl must have been incredible absolutely incredible so peyton manning missed out on the super bowl ring again he went on to get another one for the broncos right at the end of his career mm. but it was quite it was a it was quite a surprise for the saints to beat the colts um, and a hell of a story, you know. And the word that they keep coming back to in New Orleans is rebirth. It's the title of the statue yeah. of the block punt that's outside the stadium. You know, Breeze and Sean Payton use it a lot. We should briefly mention as well, so their star offensive player, Breeze, and their star defensive player, uh, Vilma, were both, and this gets mentioned quite often, were undersized for their position. Yeah. So I think Drew Breeze is like a six foot, and, and Vilma's about six foot, six foot one playing, you know, uh, linebacker. But it just shows, doesn't it, that if you're if you're good enough and you're strong enough and you're, and you're smart enough, you train hard. I think size is often overrated in sport. You'd be a very good coach, Bubbins. I think I would, you know. And by that, I mean you're an absolute arsehole. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know that's what you meant. I'm agreeing with you. <laughs> yeah, I didn't. I didn't think for a second you didn't want to not disappoint me. <laughs> Um, it, it is one of those Super Bowls that really stands. I, I got through well. I watched like the first half uh, this week, but again, we talk about our sources. But it's all you can watch the whole game online. Not every it's Super really Bowl game lives up to the billing, and sometimes they're they're not they're, they're quite dull games. But this one really does stand a rewatch. It was a great game. I was watching that just like I said, just in t- just drinking coffee, watching the game, just yeah. loving it. It was great, wasn't it? Yeah, cheers, Tom. Yeah, it was good fun. I love doing these. Cheers, producer Simon. I imagine he's off now with um, Beyonce for Dr. Do- <laughs> Do- Costa or something. I would always do. A moment of pure joy and triumph shared by an entire region. The best way to see the masses was from the air from our helicopter view. From the air, we can see how deep this crowd is. You cannot have Lombardi Gras without the Lombardi Trophy. Coach Sean Payton carried that trophy to Gallier Hall where he was posted for his bold play call. To the gossiest move in the history of the Super Bowl. That is huge. Ridiculously huge. Arguably the biggest celebration in the history of the world. Like hundreds of thousands of people. How many people were out there for the parade? Well, we've heard that nearly a million people, and by all accounts, the crowd were told to 